what do you recommend for people who get scared or fear dread when they hear the word lean? Do you mm. believe it's a singular bad experience or maybe they had a, a consultant experience or something else? Yeah. And I would say it's all of the above. I think they, just the word itself, they don't like. And I would say that they didn't have the right consultant or owner working with them. That's why they feel like they, it went, they went poorly. <laughs> I agree. All right, John. I mean, the owner has to be, we were, I was talking about this with James Peace the other day, because we're doing our presentation for LCI Congress. And we're saying owners don't like lean because it means they have to do more work <laughs> and, and they don't want to do the work. Right. I don't know. That's, that's my or feeling. Do, as an owner. Or do work period. Do work period. We're working on a project right now. And my part, my business partners are like, Hey, we want to get trade partners involved early. I'm like, excellent. That's great. And they're like, well, what, we got to know what the value is of that. I was like, how come you don't know what the value of getting people involved early is? <laughs> Why are you still questioning this? <laughs> what are you afraid of? You know, it's exponential payback. That's what you get. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you get. Tell them to watch oh, the episode of the yeah. EBFC show with uh, Mike Williams in season one, where he talks yeah. about, he's like, I didn't want to have like, he's like, I'm a designer. I don't need to talk to the people that are going to build my stuff. Right. And then he realized over a course of time how invaluable those meetings were, conversations, and friendships. He's still friends with people from that project to this day. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the EBFC Show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple collaborative ecosystem system. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French, and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, Scheduling Manager at Oakland Construction, Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last planet system. Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach RefineMySite takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refine My Site for free for 60 days. Today's episode is sponsored by Construction Accelerator. The design and construction industries come up with and build great things, but we also build and waste in how we do those things, in our interactions, in our contracts, in our logistics. So what does this do for our bottom line or our next project? The best firms maximize their value by removing that waste and only doing what's essential to the work, what makes them money. Construction Accelerator will train you to see the waste and give your teams the lean tools and experience to remove it immediately. All online, Construction Accelerator is made up of three to nine minute videos that can be watched again and again in the field, at the office, and at home, all broken down by topic. Need to learn pool planning? We have videos on the process, how to set up a room, and how to kick off a team. Need to set up a target value delivery project? We discuss all the aspects of TVD, especially cost. Or maybe you just need to brush up on 5S. Well, we have videos on that as well. You can download and print reference materials to use on site to immediately translate watching into doing. Subscribe today at trycanow.com. Let's build an industry, not just a project. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry and transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. Architects know how to design something to be built. Why not look at constructability? That's the main reason I want them in the room, because I want construction. And then we have the GC talking about prefab, but saying it'll be faster, but it won't it won't 
you won't save any money. <laughs> so like we could, we could get, right, we could deliver the project two months early. This is a huge project. It's like a hundred million dollar project. They're like, we could deliver it a couple months early, but if we do prefab, it's not going to save you any money. It'll just save you time. It's like, how can you save time? And not, you're, we're spending a hundred thousand or more a month on GCs, and you're telling me we can't? We're not going to save money. Like that's not our ultimate goal, but still, like, what do? You, yeah. <laughs> time is money, isn't it? You know. So anyway, time is money. That's where people don't understand. And I got to get on a soapbox for a second, but there's so many in the business, John. They get swept up in the day to day, like what they do, and they forget mm-hmm. that everything that we do, we're solving a problem for an owner. Like the building right. we're building solves a problem for them that helps them with a business need or a social need, depending on you know what right. kind of client you have. And the sooner we can bring that need to fruition where they can start benefiting from it, the better. I mean, the toughest thing we have with hospitals is the fact that they can't hire people. They're not ready. If we deliver it early in this case, they may not be ready for us. So then it may sit there for months waiting for them to actually occupy. We've had that happen multiple times where we've done things so efficiently we get done early and they can't bring the, they don't have the, the troops ready to, to take over the building and use it for the purpose it was intended. So we delivered it early and then they came two months later and used the building. And it's like, why'd we rush so fast? You know, everybody's hedging their bets. There's, there's the, right. the lack of trust. I mean, the everyday construction project, John is late. Oh, I know. Yeah. Across planet earth. I mean, the projects being late is just so rampant. It's the, it's the normal. It's the norm. It's the norm. Nobody expects it to finish on time. Right. With any kind of certainty. So when they say we, we had a build out, which was February, we had, uh, we got schematic diagram on July 1st, 17,000 square foot build out. We had to be done. We finished by December 15th, ready to occupy. We had to buy an elevator, two air handlers and a decorative staircase for the second floor build out. We had no design of anything, no procurement done on July 1st. We finished December 15th. So that's, and we did with an IPD contract, went through the permitting process, everything, right? So we did that. Then they occupied in February. So you're right, because they weren't ready. Yeah, so they don't believe it. It's it's, it's too good to be true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's just the team's got to get, you got to bring the people closer in, the stakeholders. If you're, if they're coming in closer and they're seeing the progress and they start to see everything come to fruition, it's going to change how they plan. It's going to pull them ahead too. Well, they, and they even said, we want to be done and ready to go on January 1st. So we said, we'll give it to you on December 15th. You can do all your IT shakeout and everything else for the next two weeks and be ready on January 1st. And we kept telling them we're going to be ready. And they're like, well, we're not going to be ready. So that date sounds so funny. It sounds like a financial budgeting calendar cycle date time <laughs> rather than a, a need. It was a merger acquisition. There like you the go. Doctors were coming on board on Jan for Jan one after a merger and acquisition of their organizations. So. Yep. That's financially driven, which is not yes. terrible, but no, Let's be real people. Let's, let's be honest and transparent. Right. But I like the story of getting done in, you know, five months anyway. So I'll, I'll, I'll take that all day long. I'll do jobs like that all day long and get them done early for them. So they, then it's up to them to occupy. We, right. we did our job. Yeah. And how was the, the punch list on that? What punch list? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we had one, we've had one issue ongoing with that building. We had air, two air handlers on the first floor that have been a real like headache for us. And it kind of killed our whole, it's killed the whole, I tell the story all the time about this building. Initially, it was our our first IPD contract. It was the first one in healthcare in Chicago. And it, the hard part was that we've had these two air handlers that have been like lemons on this building since we built it. We've had issues with static pressure drops that would cause the air handlers to shut off. We've had hot and cold spots all over the building because these air handlers haven't been working correctly, fed moisture problems in them, which burned out all the circuit boards at different times. I mean, just, you could, you name it, something's happened in that building with the air handlers. We had issues with the boilers. So these are all manufacturer related, mm-hmm. but then we've had to go back and try to fix them. So it's been kind of one of those things where it's been, the, I think, a beacon job for us, but also a one that's dragged us down because we've had to keep going back. And the client looks at it as a kind of the, you know, a black hole, not a, not the beacon that we think it is. So there's kind of that running joke about that building, which kind of sucks for us. Cause I, 
I thought it was a great project. So it's tricky. It just shows you how complex of a web construction is today. There's so many interconnected parts. It's no longer the simple construction. It's just very complex. Everything's yeah. I mean, we actually after that building, we stopped going to uh, putting in boilers in that way. We've done electric reeds because the boilers we knew were so problematic. They caught this condensation that happens in the flue pipes that was leaking and causing all these issues where it would actually drain back down somehow into the boiler, shut it off. I mean, we had all kinds of problems like that too. So we, it's completely changed our style of how we design and build buildings is because of this project. Welcome to the show, John Zahara. John, you are the first lean champion for me at my first Congress ever when I was presenting on digital evaluations of last planner system software and or pool planning as most people know it and you were just such a professional i think it was was it the first time that lci was trying poster sessions or the second time it was the i think it was the first official lean lab poster session and like for everybody that, that doesn't know i mean john's project management skill set is next level he got a bunch of rowdy construction people to get their stuff together so that come game day at Congress, we were all ready with posters printed somewhere else, presentations ready to go, and everybody had very specific time envelopes to hit, and we had hundreds of people coming through that session. I still get asked questions about that even now, all these years later. So, testament to, to your skills, John, for, to organize and lead which is different than manage. That was interesting. I mean, that was, I, I, I forgot that we, I had you guys send me all of the printed documents or the documents and I got a printer to print them for everybody. I, I kind of forgot about that, didn't I? Yeah, you're like, a, I mean, I would expect nothing less than somebody from Chicago to expedite and make sure that everything yes. is smooth. To have a guy. You got to yeah. have a guy. You have a yeah. guy. It's like, so, oh, you're going to go do this presentation. Who's your guy? It's yeah. John. I got a guy. Yeah. Johnny on the spot. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So, John, please introduce yourself to the audience. Let them know who you are. Everyone listening right. across planet Earth, you're in for a treat. John is going to inspire you for what is possible today and change your mind about how construction projects are delivered. Take it away, John. Thank you. What an intro. What an intro. So, John Zahara. I work for a company called Integrated Facility Solutions. I'm the vice president of that company. We're an owner's rep program manager up in the Chicago area, like Felipe said. Uh, born and raised in Chicago. Felt like this was a place I never wanted to leave. Um, I ended up going to Purdue University, getting a construction engineering management degree. Uh, it was kind of an interesting story because I was looking in the construction or architecture world and I went and talked to a few folks and they said, do not become an architect. You don't want to be an architect. <laughs> There's no money in architecture unless your name's on the door. There's, you know, it's a struggle. It can be a struggle. And I've seen that with my architect friends. It's tough. It's a tough job, you know? And I think I was really built to not be an architect. So I'm glad I didn't choose that path. I don't know if I would have been successful doing that. Um, <clears throat> so I looked at, I, I actually had a, seat at a table, a drafting table at Kansas, University of Kansas, in their architectural engineering program. So I was able to get in, I got the thing, I was like, all right, I'm going to Kansas, this is it, you know. <laughs> and then I hear this, I get this kind of piece of advice, don't go into architecture. <laughs> but then I switch and I'm like, all right, construction engineering, then I got to, let's find out where that is. And there was only a handful of schools at the time that were offering anything like that. Iowa State was one, so I looked at Iowa State first, and when I went there, they talked a lot about their program, but they also talked about Purdue's program. And was, I thought it was very interesting that they brought up that Purdue also had this program. <laughs> they were one of, like I said, a handful in the country. And after I left Iowa State, I said, oh, well, I'm going to Purdue, I'll check it out. And I, when I went down to the campus, I was like, this is, I love the campus. And what drove me to Purdue was the construction engineering management program had a required internship. So it's three years of, you had to have three summers of work out there in the field doing the actual work um, or the work of a project manager, let's say. And so I was like, that's it. I'm sold. Uh, that, that, that sold me completely from Iowa State. Iowa State didn't talk about the program like that, didn't talk about an internship. I was like, I want to work. That's what I wanted to do to see if I really thought it was a beneficial career path for me. And 
of course, me being the Chicago guy, like you said, I had a guy. So I didn't want to go work at like Los Alamos National Laboratories or somewhere else that they were going to put me. I found my own internships. So I found companies that would sponsor me from Chicago in this program. So for two summers, I worked for a, a company called Globetrotters Engineering, basically an owner's rep for the Illinois tollway system. And we were building roads. Well, after the second summer of that, I was like, I know I'm not, I'm not geared up for road construction. Like construction's dangerous enough, and then you t then you go into road construction, and it's like a whole nother. The things I saw on a road construction project, the accidents, the things like that. We, I mean, it was just incredible how dangerous that is. And I'm like one of those idiots that probably still goes too fast to a construction zone because everyone does it. And but I, it's it's so inherently dangerous. Uh, we had one time where one of our concrete trucks was coming around a corner and pulled in too tight like too quick, mm -hmm. tipped over into the hole with a full uh, barrel of concrete in the in the drum. They had to get two different cranes to lift this truck out of the hole. And if somebody was standing there, they would have been completely obliterated. So definitely it was not my calling to go into the construction world on road construction. So <clears throat> I, I got in touch with another friend of mine um, in Chicago who led me to a uh, mechanical contractor, Hill Mechanical. And Hill was, uh, Warren Hill was very kind to introduce me. He, he said, you know, you really don't want to be a mechanical contractor. I think you really are thinking general contractor, just based on what I hear from you, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting pushed around here. That know? is so funny how, I mean, but general contractors, I mean, I'm a recovering general contractor myself, John. Right. We, we definitely, there's a stereotype for us. 100%. There's a stereotype. There's a stereotype. And he's like, well, you you seem more like you want to be in that kind of holistic world, not into one sector, right? I was not going as a mechanical engineer to school, and and Hill the Hill Group is a huge supporter of Purdue, so I felt like that was a really good connection. He got me connected with a general contractor in Chicago, gave me a lot of good advice about how to dress, like buy a suit. These guys are professionals. The whole thing really amazing and we did all this either by phone or by letter i never met warren hill i have hired his company for the past 25 years i have some of my best friends work at this company and i never met warren hill and he just passed away uh a few days ago unfortunately but what a what a great story of somebody that really likes that was a people person wanting to make connections and help people without even knowing who they are so I think that's a, an important thing that I took to carry on in my life. How can I teach people? How can I give a little bit of myself when I when I when they when people need it the most? So got me hooked up with this general contractor and really felt like that was kind of the path. That was a good path to walk down. Did a couple of more summer internships with them and I finished up my schooling and I came back to Chicago because I was like, I'm not I don't want to leave. I love the city. I don't want to leave. Um <clears throat> Worked for Blaine Andrews for about four and a half years on some like just crazy projects. I mean, the first project out of school I was on was a was the was a convent, believe it or not. Wow. Like, I didn't know people still built convents. We moved the convent from a corner site back to a back lot behind another school. But this was a huge project. I mean, it was acres of land. We had a precast bridge that went over this pond. I mean, you're talking pretty extravagant building to be on right out of college and you know interesting lessons learned from that whole scenario about uh the relationship between general contractor and the and you know at the time what people called them as subcontractors and how how that relationship works i really realized that especially the electrical contractor is almost if not more important than the superintendent on a project the electrical foreman or superintendent they are kind of in my point of view as i've seen this in my career almost set as equals because of the amount of information the electrical engine electrical contractor needs to know and i didn't realize that right he was asking me for like millwork shop drawings once and i'm like why do you need millwork shop drawings i'm some dumb kid out of it's like you don't need that you're not the mill worker and he's like how am i supposed to know where to put my outlets above the counter and all this other stuff there's coordination that happens so deep into the job and I wasn't smart enough to listen to it until I, you know, you had to learn. These are right. lessons learned that I took with me all the way through. So 
that was a really important one. And then kind of moving out from there, I went to work for a flooring trade contractor. So completely different shift in my life, not necessarily planned, but really interesting because it, then it, you know, you talk about leadership and, and where that brought me. That, that was a very small company. There were only five of us in the office. There were 12 guys out in the field. But we had some huge accounts with like the biggest department stores in Chicago. At the time, Marshall Fields. We did all the flooring work for Marshall Fields, Nordstrom's, Neiman Marcus. Um, you know, had some great client accounts. And it's actually uh, where I work now. I started my career at Bullion Andrews and I did one of my first jobs on my own was owner, IFS was the owner's rep. So that's how I met them initially was like okay. 25 years ago or 20 years ago. And then when I got to this flooring contractor, same thing. They they were looking for an independent flooring contractor that could come and just do projects in the hospitals. And so they hired me. So I now had a nice, long, four-year connection with people there doing projects with a good general contractor background to help me. But the leadership I learned was really about how to manage manpower in the field. So this it takes a lot of special care to schedule the people that go to work every day. When you think about the, this was a 12 person field company. I can't imagine what McCarthy goes through every single day, trying to place right. hundreds and thousands of people on these project sites. What thousands. if something gets delayed, right? If something gets off a little bit, you, people got to sit at home. Where do they go? What do they do? And I never wanted to have people sit at home. It was the mo one of the most stressful things I've ever had to go through in my entire career was scheduling the manpower at this company. Because I'm affecting people's livelihoods if I can't keep the work going. So how do you push to keep the work going? How do you bid enough jobs? How do you do? It just is very stressful to run a small business like that. <clears throat> so then from there, I moved into another general contractor position for about three years before I got to IFS. And so I got to IFS right after the economic downturn. So in 2010 is when I, when I got here. And they weren't really looking for anybody, but they knew me. So they said, well, you know, you're a known commodity. We know who you are and we have some big projects coming up. So it might be good to have your experience here. And um, I think one thing that was has been really important with my career at IFS was this idea of mentorship. So our founder used to, when he was in, still working, would meet with each one of us, every, every employee, every, every quarter for breakfast. So individually, that, that takes, that's a lot of effort. Yes, it is. And we're not only, you know, 20 people in the company, but still that's 20 breakfasts. That's, you're having these conversations. And one of the things I put on my uh, goals sheet was to become a leader in the company. You know, I was, I was asking for it. I wasn't going to wait for somebody to hand it to me or to do anything. I was asking for that leadership position. It's kind of been, it's permeated through my life that I was going to, I wanted to be a leader. And so I asked for it and it was Granted, just and it doesn't it doesn't just get given to you. You have to earn it. <laughs> That's absolutely you know? true. Right? You have to earn it. But I think having good kind of these different career blocks, I thought I was like, there's no way I'm gonna work for four companies in my entire career. There's no way. That's crazy. I didn't think I'd move that much. I'm a loyal guy. I felt like I there's no way. And then as I went along, it was like each one of these moves helped so much in the development to get me to this stage where I'm at today. I wouldn't be the type of owner's rep, kind of lean philosopher, whatever you want to call it, without having all of these diverse, this diverse experience in the past. So it's really kind of helped play in and build me up as a owner's rep, project manager, vice president, getting into business development, this lean coaching stuff that we're doing, all of those things as a presenter, as a lean champion. I mean, th that, all, I needed all of that other stuff in order to be able to do this now. So it was really an interesting career path when you go back and look at it. And you're like, oh, I learned something there. You know, I learned something about, I had a superintendent <clears throat> once tell me that you treat the subs like blank because they are blank. They're crap. Subs are crap, so you treat them like crap. And I was like, <clears throat> what? <laughs> Why would anyone say that? Now, granted, this is 20 years ago, but still, like, that's not, it was more than 20, it was like almost 25 years ago, but that's not, that's like one of the first things I heard out of college. That is completely wrong in every single, you know, way you can think about it. And this guy was not cut out to be a superintendent, obviously. No. no. 
So just kind of an interesting, reflecting back on it, it is, it's very telling how all these different experiences play into your kind of where you stand today. And what did, what were you able to produce? What's your legacy going to be? You know, and that's what I'm still working on. Yeah, you're still fine. You're on your adventure just got started. And I think for, you know, John, you and I are about the same age when we grew up and I grew up in Chicago too, on the South side, but I'm a Cubs fan through an awesome marriage. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm a North sider. I lived about a mile from a mile away from Wrigley field as a kid. So no, no, you don't have that, uh, that South side accent. There's a different, there are different accents in Chicago. There people. are, there are, there are. And you could tell that John's a good North sider, mm-hmm. but I was, as we were growing up, John, you and I both, we had uh, our parents and the people we were entering the workforce with. Their their normal every day was to work for like one company their whole life, right? That was super normal. And I remember being in construction early in my career, and there were some people that had changed jobs every couple years or so. And I remember people in the company looked down on them because they weren't loyal and they were changing companies. And it it it. It wasn't like they were changing companies for bad reasons or it could be different opportunities. You know, like sometimes you outgrow what the company has or sometimes you realize after a couple of years that you don't fit with the culture of where you're working. Right. But the predominant thinking at the time when we were coming in like 20 plus years ago was that you get one place, you stay at one place forever and that's it. Yeah, or else you're viewed as uh, like jumping companies to chase the money or whatever. But you're right, they're... There comes a point where either the company decides you're not a good fit right now, and that's right or wrong. It's a business decision that they have to make. And I was that happened to me twice. I got laid off twice in my in this stretch of my career. I didn't think I'd get laid off. One was really based on both of them were really based on what was going on in the marketplace at the time and the shrinking of certain companies and the need for that. But it taught me a lot about that. It taught me a lot about myself, what I needed to do better. It showed me who I could be loyal to and trust and who I needed to be more guarded with too. So it does, it teaches you a lot of things, but there's no reason why. Hey, real quick. Construction is one of the only industries that's become less productive over the past six decades. 60% of construction job cost is labor. 80% of construction projects are over budget. 60% aren't on time. Struxy replaces paper timesheets and manual data entry with easy-to-use software. How much are inefficient job sites costing you? One of our customers estimates they'll save millions per year with Struxy. Read the case study at our website, Struxy.com. That's S-T-R-U-X-I.com. Software for hard work. You can also visit us at World of Concrete in Las Vegas come January. That's why I say that young kids take the internship opportunity to work for a number of different companies. If you work for the same company for three or four straight summers, do you really know that it may be great, maybe a great experience, maybe your lifelong company, but how do you, what if you found something else in this path that was more interesting or fit you better and you didn't know it? So I, I encourage young students to go out and work for a few different organizations and not just three different general contractors, go work for a trade contractor and see if you really like it. Cause specializing in something is really interesting. You know, I was doing the flooring work. It was really interesting to key in on one specific thing all the time and how can you perform that the best way possible? And so it was really, that was really an interesting kind of path or portion of my career that I didn't think I'd ever have. So. No, it is. And then you're right. I mean, the experiences we have when we're early in, like you had that superintendent experience where you're hearing this guy telling you, like, he's telling you this advice, like it's, you just need to follow it. Don't even question it. I had uh, a different experience with the superintendent early in my career. It's probably five years into construction. And I'll never forget the superintendent was Jeff Hope. And he mm-hmm. said, uh, I know Jeff. I was like, yeah. oh my God, you know, Jeff, <laughs> what a small world. Yeah. Yeah, so Jeff was a major influence on me. And he told me, he said, he's like, these people that work here, they trust us to help them. And so we have to reciprocate that trust and make an environment so they can be completely successful. 
He's like, everything we do as a general contractor is to support their success because if they're not successful, we're not successful. And I learned that. I mean, I was like, I consider myself blessed. I've gotten that, you know, five, five-ish years in the business. I carried that with me forever. And that's always paid dividends. So if you see Jeff. Look again, at the advice you got. And look at the advice I got, right? Completely yeah. different. The advice you got. I had to unlearn that to learn the, the, the right way to think about this. If, and I, and I look at it now as an owner's rep and I say, if the con I say the same thing from the owner's perspective now saying, I want my contractors, architects, trade partners, vendors. I want everyone to be successful, make a profit because I know I'll get a good project outcome. And you don't hear a lot of owners reps say that you're like, I'm going to beat this guy up in a street. I never hear that. Oh, ah, I, I, I got that one, you know? <laughs> Where I'm saying if, if I beat them up somewhere along the line, I'm going to get something that I don't want in that building. I'm going to get a cut corner cut. I'm going to get something taken off in order to make up the profit that I just cut out of them. So if I treat it fairly and with respect, then I think I'm going to get a, I know I'm going to get a better outcome. Right. I mean, that's so like I had this, my, one of my first projects at IFS was a 125,000 square foot building on this hospital campus. So this was, we were basement, four stories up, buildings expandable to another three stories. So this is a really big project, right? A lot of build out, heavy mechanicals down in the basement and radiology equipment, everything else you can think of, right? And we had 18 months to do this. The building was placed in their main parking lot. So we had to displace all the parking. We had to phase this thing. We built a tunnel across the road that connected us to the mechanical plant, central plant. <laughs> my first day walking into this project with my team that we were able to negotiate and choose. So we, we picked our team as a handpicked team. So this sounds very lean, but it's, this was 2010 or 11, right? So we're not, we weren't in a lean journey yet. We were just in a let's work together because it makes sense type of, that's what I said. So I sit down with the team project manager from the GC's side, the architect engineers. And I said, here's the deal. We have a, this is a massive project for us on this campus. I want to have fun when I come to work every day, right? I want to enjoy this. And I want all of you to enjoy this too. I, if we come to this meeting and we're fighting with each other, that's good. That's a waste of time. We should not do that. Right. So let's have, let's, let's enjoy this, right? Let's make sure that we understand what we're, what we're trying to deal with here, which is don't bring me change orders that you know are garbage. Just don't even present it, right? <laughs> I trust you, general contractor, to not bring me garbage. I, if you haven't looked at it, then don't pass it on to me yet. And so there, there was that teaching element there that I was trying to coach a culture to say, we're going to enjoy coming to work every day and working with each other on a massive project that's highly complex, that's going to upset a lot of people because they're going to have to park in different spots. There's going to be traffic things we have to deal with all the time. There's going to be, you know, mechanical shutdowns to tie in piping, this whole road going across the, this road cut through the hospital campus. And we put a tunnel directly across from that. So we had to divert all the ambulances, to the emergency department while we did this. I mean, you're talking massive amounts of work. But the key element was we're going to enjoy this, right? And so I remember the GC brought me a change order once and he knew it was not. <laughs> he was like, John, I don't even want, I, like, I shouldn't even show this to you because I already know the answer, but let's talk about it. We went through it. It was like, we both agreed that it wasn't appropriate because we had a 3D model of the building and the guys didn't do something correctly. And when they got out to build it in the field, it was it didn't match the model. And so I was like, what? That's not on me. That's, that's on you guys. But the whole, the whole way through, we had allowances that we were able to negotiate. The only change orders I wrote on that job were, were deductive change orders, right? Or internally moving money from one line to another change order kind of thing. So it was, it, it really brought in the concepts of cost certainty, schedule certainty, collaboration without calling it a lean contract that that's exactly what we did though and and what, what kind of contract was it it was a gmp so you know you take a ipd contract and you just scale it one step down to a gmp and gc had the gmp so did all the mechanical trades uh so we had a lot of the elements of what would be ultimately become our ifoa the integrated form of agreement 
contracts that we ended up using later, we had it all there, except all the savings went back to the owner. That was really the major difference. And there, so there wasn't this incentive pool, a profit pool, but we finished in 18 months, right on schedule. We moved in in four consecutive weekends. We moved people from all over all of these buildings, consolidated them on this campus. So it was a, it was a crazy amount of this move matrix was incredible. And at the end of the day, like we walked, we walked away from that job being, being very satisfied. And I remember the, the CEO of the hospital organization at the time came up to me and said, you know, you, re- you built a world-class building, right? And so he's recognizing that was really cool for him to recognize that, say that to me, because it, 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 we delivered exactly what you were talking about, which was this project will help them become a better healthcare organization. We could take care of people here. It, it enhances their vision of what they want to do with this hospital campus. And so it saved them money in the long run by consolidating all these people into this building. There's a lot of different factors there that really help their business model. And it's because of how we built the project and the team and the culture that we built. That was That's what got it done so successfully. So really cool project to kind of taught me a lot about where we should be going in our construction world away from conflict and towards collaboration. I like that. You know, I don't, that's, that's really what I was all about. It's like, make my, make my life easy, a little bit easier by not fighting with each other. That would be a good thing. You know, (laughs) what I love most about that story, John, is that you had a simple idea. This project is going to be fun. Not, it could be fun. It's going to be fun. (laughs) And you, I mean, as a leader, And with a a lot of influence on the job, you set the tone for how the project was going to go because it could have gone a thousand different ways. I mean, everyone in the hospital would not be upset if it took a little bit longer because that's what everybody's used to. And so that that's a testament. Like, ladies and gentlemen, once again, John said it finished on time. They collaborated at a high level. Mm -hmm. They could talk to each other with honesty. Trust was given and earned and it finished save money. It didn't cost extra to deliver what was planned. I mean, that is why making things easier is so critical. A good attitude, positive leadership makes a big difference. And even, even if you're on a job now, that's not going as good as it can be. You listening, watching have some influence on how things are going and you can absolutely take a page out of John's book and start to have fun at work. I remember having these jobs previous in my career where I almost didn't want to get out of bed in the morning to go to the job site because it was going to be toxic. It was going to be bad. And once that starts to infect the job site, it's so hard to stop it because everyone's there seeing, oh, the, if the superintendent doesn't care, why should I? Right. Right. So if the superintendent's like, yeah, forget it. Don't worry about it. Don't telling people not to, that they don't have to clean up after themselves and keeping a good, you know, building how you're keeping your house clean, whatever. If the superintendent doesn't care about it, it's going to permeate all the way down through the entire. And it really could start with the owner side. So when I walk through and I'm asking questions and I'm looking at it, I have to set an expectation of what I want the place to look like. And so it's, we, ha- but then we have to follow through. So am I, I'm not afraid to pick up a, some garbage that I see on the floor, throw it in a dumpster. I can do the same thing like anyone else can. So lead by example, right? Instead of sitting up on your high horse, I had a, one of my, our young project managers, we were talking about that recently. She's like, I kept calling the superintendent asking for a schedule. Like every day I call him, like, where's my schedule? Where's my schedule? Right. And I said, why don't you go the opposite way? And call them and say, what can I do to help get this schedule done? Do you need something from me? Do you need information from me? Lead times, whatever, for the equipment that we're buying. What can I do to help you get this done? Instead of just barking at him to get it done, get in the trenches with him so he knows you're in this, right? I can be the hammer as an executive level, but you got to get in the trenches with this guy and talk to him about what's really going on in the project and to form a bond, you know, call him every day and say, Hey, how did we do today? What, what happened today? Where are we, where are we at? So I can give the client an update. And so really develop a bond that you're at your equals, not your project manager yelling at the superintendent. I said, let the project manager for the general contractor do that hammering, right? You need to be like right here, symbiotic with this, with this guy. And it'll go a long way for them to 
for him to say, wow, this person really cares about what I'm doing instead of just yelling at me on the phone or through email. <laughs> right. A lot of t- places now, the young, the young folks are saying, well, I sent them an email. Well, that's not good enough. You can't just send an email and hope that it's going to, I mean, depending on who you are in this business, you're getting hundreds or more emails a day. I mean, it's, you don't have enough time to sift through it to understand which ones are the priorities and which ones aren't. Yep. So pick up the phone and call, text them something else to try to catch his attention. And, and like I said, get in the trenches and really make it feel like you are a part of this thing as an and as an owner's project manager i feel like you have to do that in order to be successful and i see a lot of people that don't do that and that's why they're they have these hard these rough moments on their projects because they're like oh yeah we'll just let we just give them the keys and let them go right that's never been our philosophy we want to be in depth because we think that it's going to help the process absolutely an engaged owner makes a huge yeah. difference and john I want to go back to something you said. You're, I mean, you're, you're dancing around this deep-seated respect for people. And I've known you, so I know that it's there. And we've talked together multiple times. But I'd love to hear some elaboration on what you're doing with lean coaching and how you're bringing that into you know, IFS and, and the broader community there in Chicago and beyond. I feel like the, you know, what we did originally in our lean journey was look inward first do some study, really learn about this ourselves. And we started in like 2013, 2014. When we met, that was at the Chicago Congress in 2016. And our, our, our uh, president of our company at the time, the founder was the chairman for that event. So he kind of roped us into being champions and helping out and all this other stuff. Funny you said that about me being a champion for the Lean Lab thing that we had. I was a champion for the Lean Labs the entire time, the entire history because of that experience in Chicago. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, John can do it. Let's give him the Lean Lab concept to wrangle 100 people and have them rotate around this room and coordinate it all. But the Lean Coaching, I think the Lean Coaching thing in the last, so about three years ago or so, a general contractor reached out to me. It was actually through a previous company that I worked for. They were part of a small group that, a peer group, and they recommend they were looking for a lean coach, and they, he recommended me. So it was really nice that my past came back in a good way, not in a haunting way, but in a good way where they recommended me to this contractor up in Wisconsin, and I've been working with them ever since. So this is a three-year journey of me going into their company and teaching them the lean, the lean philosophy. And I think one of the things that really is is a benefit to coach from the owner's perspective is, again, it, it feeds into our entire philosophy of if we can help the owner, we want owners to have good outcomes in our projects. That's our whole goal as an owner's rep. But if I can help build up that architecture and engineering and contractor team to be better, then the owner is going to get a great outcome. So it really feeds into our core philosophy of helping owners deliver projects kind of with certainty certain outcomes and so if i'm coaching teams most of the teams i coach are contractor oriented teams and that and i'm helping them deliver better projects for their owners so i feel like i'm achieving a, a number of goals at the same time so that started with a company up in wisconsin it's now grown and, and you really you, you kind of work yourself out of a job and you, depending on how well you do, it may happen quicker than others. So I worked with a big general contractor in Chicago, teaching them last planner. And they, and I really taught one of their young, really skilled superintendents. And he's kind of taken it as a champion and led it within their company. So I really haven't been back there in a while to do any more lean teaching because he took it, ran with it, and hopefully is has been successful with this last planner teaching last planner to the rest of their company. So that's been, that was a really cool element. And then recently though, I've been asked by, and I've been lucky enough and fortunate enough to work with some owner organizations that have hired me directly as a lean coach. Um, one, one was a insurance company up in Wisconsin who was saying, who was kind of contemplating actually using the integrated form of agreement contract. I was like, oh, this is perfect. You know, but you had, we had to go in there and like try to convince them that this was the right contract to use. So our, our experience really benefited from that. So I, you're talking about a very risk adverse organization 
insurance company. How can we push risk out to everyone else, yeah. right? And they said, we think, we feel that the AIA contract, this is their legal team, and we worked together for a while, that we, they really felt like the AIA contracts put risk where it belonged. And I was like, no, no, you, the AIA contracts, all of our traditional contracts put all of the risk on the owner. Yes. 100% on the owner. There is no way that a, everyone says, well, I push risk to the general contractor. No, you don't. No. Nope. You made it, you know, the, if you're going to put, if you want to think that you're going to put all the risk on the general contractor, the number just went, the price just went up. And so I, I started to really look, tell, talk to them about the idea that the owner, the risk is always on the owner's shoulders at the end of the day. Forget about all this other stuff. The risk is on the owner to do the, to bring the project in. But I said, when you really start to get into this integrated form of agreement contract, now we have avenues where we can actually displace some risk around the table because now we have an incentive pool so everyone's going to pull and and run in the same direction as a team because now we've incentivized them to do that not with a ton of extra money or anything like that but we've incentivized them to say your profit is sacred we're gonna we want to leave it in this bucket we don't want to touch it well that's a powerful statement to make to a general contractor and to the trade contractors working on that job the designers everybody if your profit is sacred, we don't want to touch it. We're going to leave it over there. We're not even going to talk about it, right? We're just going to put it over there. It's on the spreadsheet, whatever it is. Let's t now talk about how do we make good decisions. Right. Now we've lowered risk and we've, we're starting to eliminate risk out of our jobs because we have more good minds in the room talking together instead of working in our silos where we design it, we bid it, and then we build the job, right? And so what we did was actually... Um, went through a validation process and in about a call it six week period of time, we discovered that there was really going to be a budget crunch on this project. If you had gone and we did that for, we did that for a low dollar amount when you consider the scale of this project, it's a little bit of design work, a little bit of contractor work to put some budget numbers together to validate where we stand. And in validation, can I do the project? Can I say with certainty that I can build a certain project for a certain amount of money in a certain amount of time? We came out and said, wow, this project costs way more than our original thought was, right? They had gotten some budget number from a developer way off on a cost per square foot basis because there was no thought put into it. It was just a square foot cost. But we spent a small amount of time and a small amount of money to find out what we would have found out in a traditional method of design, bid, build would have taken us like 18 months to figure out that this thing was a problem. And then what were we going to do? Or 12 months would have been a huge issue for us to go through this entire design, give the owner everything they wanted in this design, and then figure out that we, there was no way we could pay for it. So that was it. That was a huge thing. It, and it helped carry on. One of the project managers left that organization and went to another one. And now I'm working up in Wisconsin again as a lean coach for an organization doing the same thing. And I think it's, it's fantastic because what I, the first thing I do when I approach lean coaching to make it not seem so scary, right? The word lean is scary. People don't like that. When they hear that word, they're like, oh no, we got to run. Like this is nuts, right? We tried that, didn't work. First thing I do is I talk to them about waste and elimination of waste. And I write down the eight wastes on a, on a whiteboard or something. And I say, oh, what are you doing today to eliminate these wastes? Let's talk about what you guys are already doing as a company. You've been around for a hundred years. You have to be doing something, right? Let's get it out there. Let's talk about the, and be proud of what we're doing. So what I show them is they're, they are functioning in a as a lean organization without even realizing it that helps really lower the fear factor to a point where they're like okay this is good we get we're already starting at like we're 60 percent of the way there 40 percent of the way there we're not starting at zero right and so then it becomes all right now we, we could do this we can let's keep the ball rolling let's tweak what we already have and make it better i think that's such a great way to coach teams rather than Throw everything away that you've been doing for a hundred years and let's start over. That you can't do that. People, that's overwhelming, and that that drives people away from the from wanting to function or believe that they are a lean organization. So that's that's really how I approach the coaching method to help. 
be less uh, like just not as aggressive with change everything. You're doing it all wrong. I, I don't approach it that way. I think that's going to turn everybody off to the to the entire philosophy. Absolutely. You're, you're and you're working on something where you're going to immediately celebrate some wins of some positive things, and then if people continue eliminating things that are not valuable, you're building in more capacity so they have a better appetite and they've got room. They've actually got room to eat and do right. some better stuff. So I love that yeah. approach, John. People always worry about like, well, what if I finish this job too early? If we're running so efficiently, what am I going to do with my guys? I was like, send them to the next job. It's perfect. Owners like that. If the owners can see that you're finishing work on time, like you said, or even early, there's a lot of benefits to that. So let's go and do the next one. Right. I mean, that's what they're going to find. Repeat business is great. Everyone loves repeat business. So how do we do that? We do that because we finish projects with certain outcomes without conflict. Clients like to see that and they want to do more work with you if you actually function that way. Absolutely. John, it has been my pleasure having you on the show. Uh, you know, I really appreciate Felipe, the, the time we got to spend today. Our friendship over the last five years has been tremendous. So you are a... Yeah, I was your champion, but uh, you're you're a, a definitely a beacon and a leader in this industry, and it's it's great that I can call you a friend because I like that part of this lean culture that we've built. I have friends around the country now because of going to the going to Congress, doing speak this speaking things, and it's been really great to develop this pool of resources because we're all willing to share, and that's what's so great about it. Where, yeah, we may be, in some cases, we may be uh, competitors. But so what? That the, If we all make each other better in this business, right, then then we're going to be successful. And there, there should be no harm in me sharing something I've experienced with, with anybody, any owner's rep. Come, let's talk about it and let's work on how we can be better. That's my ultimate goal. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. You've been a pleasure. You did not disappoint me. And I am honored to be your friend. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.